Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let me ask you this. What song or what hymn comes to mind when you think of the great reformer Martin Luther? What hymn? Yeah, it'd be a mighty fortress. I mean, Luther wrote many hymns. But a mighty fortress would be the one that we associate with Luther, probably more than any other. Let me ask you this. What song do you associate with comedian uh, Bob Hope? Thanks for the memories. Yeah, that's kind of his signature song. How about Lee Greenwood? Anybody know what hymn, or actually what song Lee Greenwood is famous for? God Bless the USA? Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> Great Balls of Fire. That's kind of the one we associate with Jerry. I think most people would associate that with him. Those are all examples of what we call signature songs, okay? A signature song is a song, music, that you identify with another person. It's kind of an identifier of that individual. The word signature can be used as a noun where it denotes your written name. It can also be used as an adjective where it denotes a particular person or thing. Certain states have signature food. <clears throat> if I said to you, key lime pie, you would associate that with which state? Florida, okay. The Redneck Riviera, right? It's, or that's the Panhandle, I guess, I don't know. Um, how about uh, potatoes? It's Idaho, right? Uh, breaded pork tenderloin. Nawbone? No, I'm talking states here. Okay, it would be Indiana. It's kind of famous. Iowa claims it too, but they claim some. I think corn, maybe for Iowa. Uh, certain celebrities where, well, I think every celebrity has signature clothing, all right? Uh, Kim Kardashian <laughs> would be a deeply plunging neckline. All right. I mean, everything. You don't see her without a deeply plunging neckline. Uh, Johnny Cash. Black. It's always black, right? Now, in the Bible, if someone appears in white, you know they are from? Not Jerusalem. <laughs> They're from heaven. Okay? White is the color of heaven. So, my question this morning, does Jesus have a signature? Yeah, I suppose maybe a signature saying would be truly, truly, I say to you, for emphasis. Does he have a signature? Harry pointed to the cross. Yeah. You know, someone like Jesus would have probably a number of different signatures, a number of different things he's known for. We're looking at one in particular, and it's a biggie. Uh, I direct you to page 7 in your worship folder, uh, Roman numeral 1, Christ's signature is 
abundance. Abundance. Uh, this is stewardship time, so we're talking abundance this morning. And letter A, abundance is beyond what is necessary. It is more than one needs. More than one needs. Wherever Jesus is, wherever Jesus is, there's an abundance of mercy. There's an abundance of compassion. There's an abundance of forgiveness. There's even an abundance of wine at the wedding at Cana. He makes a large quantity of the very best wine. And in our gospel reading for today, there's an abundance of food. Mark chapter 8, this is on page 8 of your bulletin. Verse 4, the disciples ask, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? The word feed is the same word used in verse 8 for satisfy. How can one satisfy with bread these people in this desolate place? And the answer is in verse 8. They ate and they were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces that were left over, seven baskets full. Jesus satisfies, in other words. He fills up and gives more. Verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. Now Jesus knows how many they have, but he asked so that you and I who are listening in on this conversation so that we will know for, for two reasons. He wants us to know, number one, that the seven loaves is totally inadequate, totally inadequate for the need at hand. And secondly, he wants us to know that this totally inadequate amount of bread plus himself is more than enough to satisfy the greatest need. Letter B. So Jesus doesn't just give, he gives abundantly, extravagantly. He gives to excess. Now, we may wonder about that. Gives to excess? You may think, hey, Pastor Armstrong, I don't have excess, I'm just getting by. Well, let me reframe it. What did John the Baptist eat? Bugs. Well, they ate locusts. I think maybe, maybe the kind of locusts that come out every 17 years, so that would be a long time between meals for John. Uh, but he ate locusts. That was a legitimate food according to the law of Moses. He ate locusts and, he wa and wild honey. It's permitted foods. And he was satisfied. He had enough. What did he wear? He wore animal skins. And his needs were met. He had enough, probably more than enough. There's a lot of bugs. That was all John required. And if you boil it down, that's really all that we require as well. And yet, God gives us far more, far more than that. Wherever Jesus is, there is abundance. Jesus said in John 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit was given only to a select few individuals. But after his death and resurrection, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, young and old, men and women, slave and free. 
and he would give the Spirit without measure. Jesus said in John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said, speaking of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul wrote, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Our ability to sin is exceeded only by God's ability to forgive us all in Christ. And as one of my professors used to say, he forgives you more sins than you've got. And that's the assurance every sinner needs. Jesus said when God gives, he gives good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, he pours into your lap. And Paul wrote this, he said, just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so God's comfort overflows into our lives as well. Following Christ involves not only an abundance of forgiveness, grace, and comfort, it also involves an abundance of suffering for Christ's sake. Just listen to the news. Read the papers. What does the world think of you as a believer in Christ? How does the world refer to you? How does it speak of you as a follower of Jesus? Jesus calls each of us to bear a cross. And, and St. Paul refers to this as the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That is to say, as we bear our individual crosses in life, we come to know Jesus in a way that we could not have known him otherwise. Sharing Christ's experience in the world of rejection and mockery, this creates in us a deep experience of Jesus, a meaningful knowing of him that cannot be experienced otherwise. This is why Paul would refer to suffering, this overflow of suffering into our lives from Christ to us. He refers to it as a gift. And this is why in the book of Acts, when the apostles were beaten, they were flogged, they were jailed, and they were released on this condition that they would no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? No, we must obey God rather than men. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy of suffering for his name. Christ's signature is abundance. It's an abundance of blessing, and that includes the blessing of suffering with him and for him. Roman numeral two, everyone qualifies for this abundance. Everyone is a recipient of the Lord's abundance. And so we're going to break down for, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. That's on page 6. Now Paul, in this passage, is describing a special offering that is being gathered for the mother church in Jerusalem, the mother of all churches, because the Christians there were suffering 
persecution from the authorities. The Roman and the Jewish authorities were persecuting them, and they were becoming desperately poor as a result. And so Paul writes this. This is number one under part A. On the first day of every week, now, the early Christians would gather together for worship on the first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. But this reference to the first day of the week is not to worship, but it is to giving, to first fruits giving. And that's the fill in the blank there. This is first fruits giving. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people gave the first of every harvest back to the Lord as a way of demonstrating that they understood the whole harvest is a gift from him. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, in effect, before you do any other spending this week and each week, set aside something first for the Lord's work. The Lord gets the first portion, not the leftovers. Point number two, on the first day of every week, each of you, each of you, no exceptions, each of you, everyone had been abundanced. When I was typing this in the computer, the word abundance doesn't exist, you know. Uh, I'm using it as a verb, and so it kept signaling me, this, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And I just thought, you know, hey, I'm inventing the word, okay? You're my computer. <laughs> just deal with it. Everyone's been abundanced. There's no exceptions. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 describes the incredible giving of the Macedonian churches Paul had assumed that the Macedonian Christians could not participate in this offering for the mother church in Jerusalem because they were simply too poor to give. That was Paul's assessment. So he was going to overlook them in the collection, but the, the Macedonian Christians would not allow themselves to be ignored. They wanted Paul to know that even though they had less than others, even they had more than they needed. Even they could contribute. In fact, their giving was even more significant because proportionally, they were probably giving more than anyone else. And, and that's characteristic of those lower on the economic spectrum. The most impoverished give the most proportionally. Now, you and I can make the very same mistake that Paul makes. We might assume that giving is only for the wealthier members of the congregation. So we may look down on those of more humble means and not expect anything from them. It's, it's the discrimination of low expectations for certain individuals. But as Paul learned, and as we learn, those who are of humble means often lead the pack in giving when it comes to proportion. So if we assume that giving is only for the wealthy, we might even exempt ourselves from this opportunity and make excuses for our stinginess. Harriet and I give 10% to the congregation. We're not required to. It's not a law for us in the New Testament to, to do this. We choose to do it. But over the years, there have been a few times when I've missed that money. <laughs> 
and, and I would think about how much money I've given, and that means how much money I no longer have. And I could think of other people in my extended family who weren't giving anything at all, and I knew they weren't giving anything at all because they weren't going to church, they weren't involved, and they're just piling up more and more money for themselves. And I, I get to look at them kind of with an envious eye. And I had second thoughts about what I had given. But then I would ask myself this question, what matters most to me? Do I really treasure money more than I treasure the Lord? Do I really want to hold on to my money more than I want to hold on to God? If so, that's idolatry, and I need to repent of it. Point number three. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. That's not at the church, that's at home. You save up at home. The church is not a bank, right? You save it up at home, and then you bring it at the appropriate time, whatever that time may be. And point number four, as he may prosper. As he may prosper. That word means to flourish or to abound. And Paul is speaking here, again, of proportional giving. Now, last week, I made the point that we are stewards of freedom. God no longer dictates what we give. God treats us today in the New Testament as adults. Not that we're always acting that way, but he treats us as adults who decide for ourselves what we will give. And Paul offers this suggestion. Let it be proportional. Let it track with however much God has prospered you. You might choose 10%, you might choose less, you might choose more. It's your call. But here's my point. However much we give is always a statement that God has first given to us more than we need. Sometimes he gives to us much more than we require. Sometimes it's only a little more than we require. Either way, he's giving to us to overflowing. Abundance is a characteristic of God, God in Christ. Grace abounds, forgiveness abounds, his spirit overflows into our lives, and that includes material goods as well. Drive through any neighborhood in Columbus. If the garage door's open, take a look in the garage. How many garages do you think people could actually pull their automobile into? You know why? Because our houses are so full of stuff that it overflows into the garage. And then when the garage can't handle it all, we'll build a shed, a storage shed out back, or buy one. And then when that gets filled up, we have to go off-site to buy storage space, to rent, to rent storage space. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it just proves my point, that the Lord gives to us to overflowing. Finally, letter B. What proportion does God give you? Well, that's easy, right? It's 100%. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? My friends, there is nothing more precious to God than his dearly loved son. And if God is willing to give his son over to death for your sins and mine, then there's nothing that God will withhold from you. 
And this is why the scripture refers to us as children of God. Because children are the ones who inherit what the parent has. This is why St. Paul writes that we are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. We inherit everything that belongs to God himself. He hands it all over to us because of Jesus. You see, Christ's signature is abundance. He gives abundantly. He gives to us far more than we need because he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be generous as he is generous to us in Christ. And he enables us through the gospel and through his overflowing giving, he enables us to be generous in Christ. My friends, the Lord has not given us little. He has given us much. He's given each of us more than we need. He's given us to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.